0: We welcome you into another edition of Radio Free Acton. I'm Paul Edwards, a new voice here at the Acton Institute. More about me later. I am joined in our studios here at Acton by John Caritas, who is communications director here at uh, the Acton Institute, and uh, Sam Gregg, who is director of research here at the Acton Institute. And we'll also talk with uh, an evangelical Christian who is on the ground in Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, at the moment and we have been watching the unfolding images coming through uh, our news feeds our television of what is going on in kiev ukraine you might think that as an american it is totally unrelated to your life uh, here in the united states Uh, we beg to differ here uh, at the uh, acton institute and we hope over the next 20 minutes or so to give you some background and uh, enough information to where you understand how, how this relates to the whole notion of religious liberty, human flourishing, human dignity, and the role of government in the lives of people, uh, not only here in the United States, but uh, around the world, and especially this day in Ukraine. If you're not familiar with what is happening in Kiev, Back in November, the president uh, and the parliament there rejected uh, an opportunity to move a little bit more toward the European Union in favor of moving towards uh, uh, Vladimir Putin and an uh, alignment with, uh, with Russia. That is a complicated, uh, a complicated story in and of itself. But uh, about a week after that happened, protesters went to the streets, um, violence began to outbreak uh, in Kiev, Ukraine. And just this past Tuesday, we watched that escalate. Now the health ministry there in, U- uh, in Ukraine and Kiev indicates that uh, upwards of 70-plus uh, individuals have been killed. Uh, more than 500 have been injured, uh, Three or 400 in hospital. It is a continuing developing crisis. Uh, and uh, as we broadcast uh, this podcast today on Friday... Developments overnight at midnight, a, a truce called uh, and uh, and some other developments that uh, that we'll get into that we hope uh, is uh, the precipitation of the end uh, of this uh, crisis. But we go right now to uh, to Kiev, Ukraine where we're joined by an evangelical Christian there who for uh, he joins us by Skype and for security purposes we're not going to reveal where exactly he is or who he is who he's associated with, but uh, he is uh, obviously living there in Kyiv, very close uh, to the situation. And, uh, and, and we just want to ask you, as you've watched this crisis develop, what is, uh, what's your perception, your understanding of what's precipitated, what's going on there in Kyiv?
1: Well, Paul, you've already described the, the spontaneous protest that, that began in November when, uh, when Yanukovych backed out of the trade agreement at the last minute. And, and, frankly, the people were just simply tired of, of corruption. Uh, they had hoped, they had high hopes, that uh, they could get in on this uh, trade agreement with the European Union, uh, because they simply wanted what their neighbors west of them, like Poland, had been able to attain since the breakup of the Soviet Union. And that was just greater transparency and a better chance to prosper. That's, that's really the main thing that got it started.
0: Are you surprised by how it's developed and what, and what you've seen happening uh, on the streets there in Independence Square in downtown Kiev?
1: Yeah, I am in, in this sense. If you had told me six months ago that these events would be unfolding now, I, I would have found that very difficult to imagine. Uh, on the other hand, as i reflected over the last few months, uh, this has been building for a long time. Uh, uh, the kindling that set off the combustion that we saw take place there beginning in November was just the result of long-term and systemic corruption. And the thing that really, that I uh, think about a lot are conversations I've had on buses and trains and planes when I've traveled around uh, Ukraine and just meeting people for the first time and talking to them about their hopes and their dreams. And uh, Ukraine is full of bright and talented young people. And yet at the same time, many of them are leaving uh, because they, they see no hope here. They're they're Fed up with the system. They're fed up with the systemic corruption, and they just feel like they can't get ahead in in this kind of environment. So I think that that's uh, well. It's been surprising. Uh, just I think the, the speed of it and the ferocity of it. Uh, in reality, it's it's been a long time in coming.
0: When you say it has been a long time in coming, November twenty first is uh, is when the president there rejected uh, the the European Union uh, trade agreement. Uh, as, as someone who's been long term now on the ground there, uh, is there a religious uh, element to this East versus West, Russia versus Ukraine? Uh, native Ukrainians, I, I know that when I've been there, and I've been I've been to Ukraine many many times since uh, since two thousand eight. Uh, I I know that even using a Russian greeting versus a a Ukrainian greeting to say good morning can sometimes uh, cause offense among uh, among some ukrainians What what is the attitude there uh, b- between russians and ukrainians and is this a, does that have anything at all to do with what we're seeing develop this week
1: i i think it does uh although i don't think that by itself is the, is the main thing uh again i travel all over ukraine i'm an educator and, and i'm involved in uh, educational activities in various parts of Ukraine, both East and West. Right here in Kiev, we're sort of right in the middle, so we've got a good blend. A number of people speak Russian, but you most of the signs are in Ukrainian, and you hear Ukrainian, or you hear Surgic, which is kind of a combination of, of Ukrainian and Russian. And while it's true in the West that there are places that you know it's better not to try to speak Russian, in fact, it's better to speak English, because I can't speak Ukrainian, uh, because there is, there's a lot of memories that go way back to the Soviet times and repression and all that. Uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, I think that this is me, this is more anecdotal, but I, I, I don't generally get uh, a strong sense of that in a lot of places I go to, even in the West. And uh, so while there is an East-West component, there's differences culturally, ethnic, uh, ethnic Russians predominate in the uh, in the East and of course the Russian language and as you said, in the West it's more ethnic Ukrainians and more uh, Ukrainian and even other Western languages you'll hear out there sometimes. Uh, I, I don't think that alone explains it. Um, in in some of the students I work with, um, they mix it up. I mean, we, we get students that are from different parts of the country and sometimes the, well, more recently, the ones that have come in from the East, and have actually seen Maidan, have changed their mind. They have been moved by what they've seen, and they've actually done an about-face in in terms of supporting the movement, because they they see firsthand the atrocities and the cruelty, and they reject it. So uh, while those differences are there, and we know in every country those differences along those lines and other lines can cause a lot of attentions, There's something uh, there's something else here going on that I think is uh, uh, in play.
0: We're hearing news reports today that uh, a truce has been called, that the the president uh, has agreed to early elections. Uh, They released an opposition leader from jail. Based on what you're hearing there, are you at all encouraged that this may portend the end of uh, the violence, the crisis and uh, and and a beginning to uh to genuine peace there in kiev
1: ah uh, i want to say yes but I, I the first thing that comes to my mind is the old expression how do you know when a politician is lying when his lips are moving and there is that sense of cynicism here and i think we're we're almost past the idea of good news because we want to see action and i say we i'm speaking on behalf of my ukrainian friends i'm using the we there but that's that's really represents how they feel. We've we've heard it all. Let's see it. And so rhetoric means almost next to nothing. The credibility factor with this regime is is almost entirely gone. So uh, as far as that goes, I think uh, um, very not that much attention is going to be paid to it. In fact, I just got I just got word five minutes ago. My wife leaned in and told me new development, uh, and that is that there's a, a um, been a threat from the more radical part of the opposition movement, the Svoboda Party, which is a, more of a more of a right wing party. And they've said, we're not going to go along with this. And if this and if Yanukovych is not booted out. Uh, we are going to storm his offices in the next, I think, something like 24 hours. That's that's unofficial. That's coming from something we've heard. But it did come from the major news outlet here in Ukraine. So in answer to your question, no, I don't see uh, this as being a pivotal move toward reconciliation and moving forward
0: well we we heard the reports of a truce being called and then uh, within hours more more bloodshed more more uh more wounded wounded people more gunfire
1: yeah i mean i think people here have the attitude that a truce is an opportunity to reload <laughs> it's not it's not really it there's nothing the intention of it is not isn't is, is not positive
0: how has this uh, affected uh, day-to-day life not only for you but other Uh, Ukrainians and particularly people there in Kiev. Uh, BBC News reporting yesterday that banks and ATMs, uh, you're not able to get cash out of the bank. Uh, Grocery stores don't have food. Is there reality to that for you from your perspective?
1: Yeah, I, of course, Kiev's a big city between three and four million. And um, so that anecdotal information can vary from place to place. But I, I would say yesterday that that was beginning to feel the case like the case here where I live uh, ATMs I looked out my window and I saw a bank across the street and there was a long line there people couldn't get their money um, Walked by grocery stores and, and of course our we have supermarkets here just like any, any supermarket you have in the states and um, long lines from the, from the uh, checkout all the way to the very back of the store there was definitely panic in the air that has since subsided today, and today while going to the store, I saw lots of shelves that uh, were far from full, some of them empty. I would say um, produce was back, produce and normal grocery inventory was probably back up towards 70% of, of what it is normally. So that it wasn't like everything was just completely uh, wiped out. So today is much better, but it, it, this is going to be the kind of thing I think we're bracing for from day to day until there's some kind of more permanent resolution.
0: In the Acton studios with me are my colleagues, uh, Dr. Sam Gregg and John Caritas. And Sam, I, I want to ask you, what, what, uh, what from your perspective are you hearing, uh, and uh, not only from what we've just heard, but uh, in, in what you have, uh, have already uh, seen and heard through your own television viewing and the news reports, why should we, sitting in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and across the United States of America, care what's going on in Kiev, Ukraine?
2: Uh, Well, there's a number of reasons. Of course, Acton's work itself is not confined to the United States. We do work all around the world, including in Eastern Europe. Uh, And I think there's a couple of things that are worth keeping in mind here. One is that this is all about Russia. This is all about Russia and its declining influence in the world. Uh, It has a collapsing population. Uh, It's more or less a kleptocracy. Uh, The the regime there of, of Putin is clearly uh, very authoritarian, and they're very worried by the rise of China to their south. So what's going on in terms of Russia's involvement in Ukraine, it's all about trying to maintain Russia's great power status. It's all about trying to maintain the idea of Russia as having the type of role that it used to play in Ukraine during the Soviet period when it was more or less completely in control. So that's the first thing, I think, which is worth keeping in mind. The second thing, a second thing which is worth keeping in mind from an in perspective, is that Ukraine has traditionally been religiously divided between uh, Eastern Rite Catholics who tend to dominate in the Western parts of Ukraine, some of which used to be part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and in the East, uh, where you find the majority of the population belongs to uh, one of three, I believe, uh, Eastern Orthodox churches. And there's been a lot of tension between... Uh, those east and west on religious lines for a very long time in Ukraine. What's interesting, though, is that for the most part, uh, there is not that religious division prevailing in this instance. Uh, You're finding that eastern Rite Catholic priests are lining up in the streets with eastern orthodox priests offering spiritual consolation, help, and, of course, making it very clear that they completely disapprove of what's going on. Uh, The third thing which I think which is very important to keep in mind here is that obviously there are tensions between those Ukrainians who are orientated towards the West, towards the European Union, where they think and and believe that they're going to find more freedom and prosperity. Well, we'll we'll see about that in the future. I'm not as optimistic about the EU as a lot of other people, Uh, as opposed to those who see some type of future in close alignment uh, with Russia. Uh, and what's interesting, of course, is in some respects it comes down to a choice between do you want to continue along the way that things have happened, uh, particularly going back to the Soviet period, or do you want to move in the direction of greater rule of law, uh, greater economic liberty, and greater prosperity, and many of the other things that the Acton Institute tries to promote. So there's a lot of geopolitical things going on here, and there are also some interesting religious developments which I think hold a lot of uh, hope for the future
0: and, and I want to get to the religious developments and I want to bring John Caritas in uh, on, on that in just a moment but I, I do want to follow up with one question to you Sam and and, and that is the, the is it is there the potential that that what we're seeing here is is a revival and the revival may be too strong of a term but a revival of the old Soviet Union mentality of uh, you know, and, and what, what is, from, from your perspective, Putin's perspective, his mindset in, I mean, he's offered $15 billion in aid, $2 billion of which I think he's already given. Is there a desire on the part of Putin? And I know you can't get into his mind, but is there this, this, uh, this potentiality of a revival of, of the old Soviet Union, and, and this could be Putin's intent in Kiev and Ukraine?
2: Putin, what you need to remember, is a a former uh, senior officer in the KGB. It's very important to keep in mind. And many people who are part of his regime in uh, Russia also come from the same type of background. And I think many of these people have never really given up the sense that Ukraine is somehow really supposed to be dominated by Russia. And that goes back not just to the Soviet period, but even before the Soviet period under the Tsars, the Ukraine was... Uh, entirely part of the Russian Empire. so there's a long cultural history and political history here of ethnic Russian dominance over uh, what we call Ukraine today. so I think that's that's one thing that's going on. I think I think the other thing is that if they're very worried that if Ukraine moves out of the orbit of Russian influence, it tends to confirm this sense that Russia while, on the one hand, is strutting the world stage at the moment, and that may have something more to do with uh, weakness on the part of those who uh, should be offering an alternative. Uh, I think it would Ukraine moving out of the Russia's orbit would suggest that there are some really fundamental problems in Russia that Putin's regime is simply not addressing, whether it comes to rule of law or simply the sheer prevalence of. Corruption. I mean, I've heard people describe contemporary Russia to me as a kleptocracy, where everyone is more or less stealing from everyone else. Or crony capitalism is another thing that we hear uh, when we hear the economic situation of Russia described. So there's a lot of different geopolitical and uh, economic things here going on, which have something to do with the old Soviet past, but I think it also has to do with even the, the past before that, but also some contemporary realities that Putin is trying to address right now.
0: Do you sense that uh, that this may be the first? Ukraine may be the first of the former Soviet bloc countries that Putin has an interest in, or is, it, is Ukraine just a standalone uh, in a geopolitical foreign policy sense uh, all by itself? It's got nothing to do with any desire on the part of, uh, of Russia, Moscow, to regain its dominance over former Soviet bloc countries beyond Ukraine.
2: Well, I've spent time in the Baltic states, and I can tell you that The Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia, they feel the Russian presence there all the time. We need to remember that the Russians launched what was more or less a cyber war against these countries a couple of years ago. Uh, They've never really, in many respects, given up the sense that these countries, which again have actually, um, in these countries themselves, they also have significant ethnic Russian populations as well. So it's not, I think it's, it's partly about the specifics of Ukraine, but I think it also has to do with Uh, Russian attitudes towards many of the countries that were once part of the Soviet Union.
0: What are the implications, Sam, for American foreign policy if Ukraine were to come more under the the influence of Moscow rather than Brussels and the EU?
2: Well, America would have to have a foreign policy to start off with in the first place before I could answer that question. (laughs) But I think that uh, it would confirm the sense that uh, the regime in, in Russia at the moment, and particularly Putin, is simply smarter at doing foreign policy uh, than the United States. I think if, if if Russia effectively wins this contest, which is part of what's going on in Ukraine right now, it would confirm the sense that in many respects the United States is a little impotent when it comes to addressing some very significant foreign policy challenges.
0: My colleague John Caritas is also here, Director of Communications at Acton. Uh, and for the purposes of this conversation i think it's relevant to point out that you're you are eastern orthodox and uh, I am. and one of the one of the uh, predominant religions there in uh, in ukraine is orthodoxy both russian orthodox uh, and ukrainian orthodox beyond the scope of this podcast to get into all of those differences but john you you see some real uh, you, you see some real religious implications in in what's happening here in ukraine
3: well that's right. All of the uh, political and economic factors uh, sit on some very ancient cultural ties between the Ukraine and Russia, and uh, that uh, the thing that knits them together is the Christian faith. The Ukraine is actually about 84% Orthodox to this day, about 10% Catholic, about 2% Protestant, and then the rest is others and some a small Jewish population. The, the influence of these churches, I think, are key. And as Sam said, we've seen witnesses from all Christian communities uh, during these uh, protest movements. Uh, there's some very moving pictures that are uh, were published, I think, on the Washington Post yesterday of Orthodox priests uh, standing between opposing factions carrying processional crosses, trying to act as peacemakers, uh, uh, with uh, in this terrible violence. So that's been very encouraging. The statements have been issued by the churches uh, demanding that the government stop the violence against these people. From my point of view, uh, I would like to see the clergy, their bishops, the pastors, get into this a little earlier. Uh, they shouldn't be waiting till there are bodies in the streets And the churches and monasteries are being turned into hospitals and morgues. Um, And that's why the Acton Institute spends so much time uh, educating and holding uh, conferences for clergy and other religious workers uh, to open their eyes to what we call flourishing communities, flourishing societies. Some of those core principles that Sam referenced earlier, uh, these are absolutely indispensable for healthy societies, economic freedom, rule of law, the creation of wealth. All of these things are what these people are demanding. And when the uh, trade agreement with the European Union was overturned at the last minute and uh, the Ukrainian government did an about-face and uh, turned to uh, Russia, that really sparked this upset, um, as our friend said at the top of this uh, podcast.
0: So it's it's fundamentally not a matter of calling truces and uh, ceasefires. You, John, would see it, it going much deeper to uh, a, a philosophical uh, a worldview where the the people of Russia desire freedom and yet they they are under really the, the governmental uh, authorities of of people who who really don't desire. Uh, Individual freedom, as we know it. I, I was watching a uh, a news report from ABC News. They were interviewing uh, someone at one of their uh, one of their American correspondents on the ground there in Kiev, interviewing a Ukrainian man who said, uh, "We simply want what you fought for over 200 years ago. We are not terrorists. Exactly. We want the st- the same freedoms that you fought for." Uh, and he's referencing, of course, uh, our American Revolution um so in, in in that sense what is it what is it going to take in terms of educating the people i mean uh the 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 communism fell two decades ago uh and yet it seems ukraine has had a fledgling democracy if uh, if if we can even call it a fledgling democracy uh, what what from an act and institute core principles perspective needs to happen on the ground in terms of inculcating a different mindset worldview philosophy among the grassroots?
3: Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. One, we make the mistake as as Americans thinking that we can provide a technocratic solution, a silver bullet. We can go in and create something that looks like democracy, that suddenly, you know, after 70 years of Soviet rule, gulags, and terrible martyrdom of the church— that we can all make it right. What we're really talking about is a process of cultural renewal that's going to take decades, but you need to put the building blocks in place for that. And the churches can play a big role in this through their social teaching, uh, through uh, witnessing against things like uh, economic and political corruption. Let's have some more uh, witness against what's going on, you know, in the parliament in Ukraine by the church leaders. Um, Let me put some numbers to this just to give us some perspective about the Ukraine. Uh, The Fraser Institute in Canada does an annual economic freedom report, and the latest one has the the Ukraine ranked at 126 out of 152 countries on economic freedom, Uh, Russia at 101, Poland at 59. So to the comments earlier about wanting what has happened in Poland, at least moving in that direction, are right on. Uh, Rule of law, transparency international puts the Ukraine in the bottom 25th percentile, the bottom one-fourth of countries uh, uh, graded on rule of law. Control of corruption in the bottom 17%. Hmm. So there are some deep-seated problems there and when you look back where were the institutions where was the civil society where were the small um, civic groups who were helping create this renewal from the ground up Mm -hmm. that's absolutely indispensable one other thing that uh, is uh, close to my heart and that is press freedom and without that of course it's also something we fought for back during that revolutionary war and uh, Ukraine ranks at 127 out of 180, Russia at 148, Poland at 19, okay. Uh, the United States, by the way, as an aside, uh, just there's a new ranking that just came out from Reporters Without Borders Press Freedom Index, uh, and we fell a number of places. We're now at 46 out of 180, so we got a little work to do here as well. But this is a process of cultural renewal, and the church must play a central role in this process.
0: I, I want to bring uh, our our evangelical Christian friend from Ukraine back into the conversation, and and just ask you if if you if you sense that what is happening on the ground there does have the feel of uh, of a revolution, a positive revolution, in spite of the violence and the bloodshed, but. But the implications uh, on the ground there—that there is a desire, a real heartfelt, innate, the God-given uh, right to human dignity and uh, and freedom—that is surfacing there in uh, in in terms of what you're witnessing firsthand uh, as as a resident of Kiev.
1: Definitely, um, there is a, a a longing for something better, and it goes deeper. As, as we just heard, than just the economics of it and the relative prosperity and uh, what's been going on, something something is happening. I don't know. We only God knows where it's going to end up, but uh, that longing is being expressed. That that that's part of what I was sort of trying to uh, point out. Is just that there's there's something more here than just some of the typical dynamics that we look at on the surface and want want to throw in. There's there's a longing for something better. And I so much agree with what was said about the need of the churches to get out in front of this. I, I couldn't, I couldn't echo uh, that. I mean, I couldn't support that anymore. And what our brother just said.
0: You, you uh, are familiar, I, I think, with young people there, college age. Um, uh 20-somethings maybe early 30 career-oriented young people what what is what is their attitude toward what what is happening there in ukraine
1: well they're you know they're they're concerned and they they want to see a better ukraine the people i work with uh, many of them are involved in kind of uh, christian related ministries and and personally i'm I'm encouraged with what i'm saying again this is just anecdotal but uh, I, I have been very heartened with the uh, aspirations and the, the dedication and what I see these kids doing and getting involved in things like human trafficking, which is another problem that we haven't even talked about that's endemic here. Uh, so uh, there, is, there is something going on. Uh, it's hard. You can't quantify it, but there's, there's something going on that's driving this. And I, I do see that and hear that in, in conversations I have with a lot of the young people.
0: The subject warrants a follow up podcast. We're out of time for this one, however, and I want to thank our guest uh, all the way from Kiev via Skype. And uh, we pray for your safety and the safety of your family and all of your friends and colleagues there in Kiev. And uh, to Sam Gregg, Director of Research here at Acton, and John Caritas, Director of Communications at Acton, appreciate so much uh, your time. I'm Paul Edwards. And for Radio Free Acton, thanks so much for being a part of today's podcast. Radio.acton.org is where you can go to get uh, all of our podcasts uh, and uh, more information about Acton Institute in Grand Rapids, Michigan.